we uh, again I want to underscore about uh, our Easter coming up in just two weeks and we're going to keep the same worship schedule have uh, worship at 9 and at 11 and there'll be a refreshment time I think a continental breakfast and, and Bible classes in between and uh, we are hope and trust we're excited that you'll be here and uh, maybe lots of visitors that's normally the case and I hope we can even increase that more we uh, had I, I often tell my wife I wished that from the time our first of our grandkids were born I'd written down somewhere had a notebook or something and written down the funny stuff that they say and do and I, I know our kids did the same thing, but I, I was too frustrated with them and wanting to chase them and catch them to, you know, think it was funny at the time, but your grandkids, you think it's funny. And uh, this week, early in the week, we were, uh, got to be an evening after, whenever I got together after work, Andrew and her uh, son-in-law and, and son Robbie and myself, and we had two calves to tag. And that involves just catching, it's kind of a, we do a three man operation on it and occasionally Marla or Jenna will help us too and the three things we do believe it or not I'm the one that grabs the calf and tackles it okay and it no no this is not like a rodeo this is stuff just flying everywhere bodies and calves and all that kind of stuff so if I get it down and then I sit on it yeah I sit on the calf and then Andrew uh, gives it a shot, a first shot, and he gives it an ear tag, a big, big old ear tag. And you know what Robbie's doing when we're doing that? He's got a, a stick of some sort, and he's keeping Mama away. Mama generally doesn't like that very well, but it does come in all degrees. There's, there's the ones that are pretty passive, and they're kind of kind of scared of you and intimidated, and they'll stay back and just kind of watch you do it and not like it very well, all the way to there's a few of them that will try to tear you apart. And uh, we haven't had that yet, but we've had a couple of close calls, and thankfully both of them were with Andrew. It didn't involve me, so everything was okay. But we were, went to tag a couple of cabs, and we knew it was going to be an adventure because they were a little older. Now, ideally, you want to do this the day they're born or the day after they're born or maybe the second day because they're still, you know, pretty uh, slow yet, not fast. They, they generally stay put and you can grab them pretty easy. Well, one of these was four days old and one was five and we knew that would be an adventure. If mom come, sees you coming, she'll get up and she'll take the calf with her. And By about that age, they can run like a deer. So the only time you can catch them is you kind of corner them and stuff like that. And the funny part wasn't really us doing the cab, but that, that was funny. But Robbie had brought one of his twin sons along, and this one's really interested in farm stuff and just won't be left behind, and he's four. And so we leave him behind a tree or, in this case, behind a fence, you know, in case mom was going crazy. And the truck, uh, Robbie's truck was right there, and, and, and his son had call, crawled up in the back of the truck to get a higher vantage point to watch this. A few days before, they had gone to the ag days at Girard, and one of them had gotten uh, a rope at the ag days. They had been given that, and they'd fashioned it into a lasso. 
and the lasso, I don't know, was probably as long as me or whatever with a loop on the end. And I, if, if cowboys can use lassos, then we're not real cowboys. And that's just not happening. It would have to be standing there and we place the loop over its head, you know, like that. None of this business and throwing it. And so we did one calf and when we went to catch the other, and we're, it was running us around, it was the older one, and his four-year-old son is standing up in the back of the pickup truck. I kid you not. It must have been for 10 minutes while we chased this thing around. He's just screaming at the top of his lungs, use the lasso, use the lasso, use the lasso. And when we finally got this cap down and worked him, I, before we let him up, I said, Robbie, you better act like you use that lasso or we'll never hear the end of it. So he starts doing this stuff with the lasso and throwing it on the calf like we had actually used it. We're, we're doing a six-month sermon series called question, or Six Week, not Six Month. I won't be here in six months. At least it sounds that way. Questions for Jesus. And again, these are questions asked by uh, friends and followers, uh, by people out of the crowd, just ones who are interested in Jesus but not committed to him yet, and, and even by enemies, people who wished him ill. But I think the answers uh, are or, or, or become very relevant to us. Today I want to look um, at, at a uh, question that's pretty close to home. And this, like for me, is the hardest of the six weeks of questions. Not so much to preach about, to talk about, but to do. Matter of fact, my wife asked me a couple of days ago, well, which question are you preaching on uh, this week? And I said, or what are you preaching on this week? And I said, it's about forgiveness. And it was just kind of a groan, you know, like, like I would do. Because this is such a hard one. I think it's hard for all of us. I think it's relevant to all of us. I think we all have people that it's hard, that would either are hard to forgive or would be hard to forgive if we ever needed to. The question is this, the short version. Should I forgive my brother or sister? Should I forgive them? Now, the question is actually longer than that, and we'll see that. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, in verse, beginning with verse 21. And a little longer section that I'll kind of split up this morning. Uh, the second half of the 18th chapter of Matthew. Well, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, yours may even say, some of the older versions, that... that um, wording there is a little bit hard to uh, figure out and translate exactly. So some of the older versions say not seven times, but 70 times seven. So you kind of almost get the impression almost 500 times. So, so 77, seven times, 77 times, maybe even 490 90 times. Now I want to stop there and we'll get to the rest of it. So the key to this, the, the question we want to look at is right there at the beginning. And again, it's a little longer than what I said, what I summarized. Lord, Peter asks, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? 
up to seven times? And I, I, I think he probably asked that a little bit like I did. Now, by way of background, before we get into and read the rest of it as well, because Jesus uses a parable to answer the question. Now, just prior to this, in verses 15 through 20, Jesus had gone through steps, and this is a good one. It, this kind of background, but it's a really good one, and the situation is just a little bit different but it may very, very well be relevant. So he goes through steps, really kind of a process to help a fellow believer who sins against you. So the setting is, um, there are two Christians, believers, followers of Jesus, who, remember they weren't called Christians yet, so the reason I changed that. So followers of Jesus, who, and, and one of them very obviously sins against the other one. So, here's how you handle that. First of all, Jesus says, and, and I'll call these the four T's quickly. You go talk to him. You talk to him privately, just between you and that person. You haven't told anybody else. You haven't made it public. You haven't put it on social media. <laughs> we, we have a new slant deeply embedded in this kind of thing nowadays, don't we? So you go talk to that person privately just between the two of you. You've not gone any farther. Nobody else knows about it. The best thing Jesus says is just to settle this between you and that other person. Now, if that doesn't work, step two. That person doesn't do it, they don't see it, they, they're combative maybe, they think you're as much at fault as they are, etc. Well, step two, you take one or two other believers along with you, and he calls those witnesses. Hopefully with the, the uh, force, the group of now two or three people going and confronting this person about their sin, they'll stop doing that and amends can be made. That's step two. If that doesn't work, it gets increasingly more obvious and, and more serious. Step number three, you tell it to the whole church. Now an interesting thing about this, Jesus uses the word church there, and there isn't yet a church not as we know it, not as they would know it in a year or a year and a half or whatever, after Jesus is put to death and he's resurrected, he goes to heaven, and then Peter and the other apostles start the church. So he's talking about ahead of time. This is what you do. You tell it to the whole church not to spread gossip, not to cause problems for that person, but to help them. If that doesn't work, if they refuse to accept that, believe it, correct that, then you treat them as you would a non-believer, meaning they're unrepentant and they're no longer a part of the body. So, 
T's. And again, this, we're just kind of on background here. You talk to them privately. You take one or two witnesses along if that doesn't work. If that doesn't work, then you tell it to the whole church. If that doesn't work, you treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector as a non-believer. They're not part of the body. Now, Jesus has just gone through that. Now, I, I, I tell you that both as background for what he, Peter's question and Jesus' answer and the parable, but I also tell you that because maybe that's relevant to you. Good chance that's true. Now, that speech, that process that Jesus talks about, inspires Peter. Now, Peter's the brash one. Peter's the one that's oftentimes voicing the opinion of the group, sometimes just his own opinion, uh, throwing stuff out there, saying things that he gets called out on by Jesus. And can't you just imagine Peter on Facebook or Twitter nowadays, the, the havoc he could wreak spiritually? I can. So Peter then asks this question, Lord how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? So it's kind of changed from stopping the sin, getting the person to recognize it and commit themselves to stop that and, and, and wanting to renew their, their relationship with Christ and their, their growth and so forth, to the person forgiving them. How many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? up to seven times. Now, there's a reason he asked that, because apparently in rabbinical law, the Jewish law, you are required to forgive someone up to three times. So Peter's saying, should I forgive? He's going above and beyond that. He's going more than twice that, more than twice that legal limit. And he's saying, should I forgive him even up to seven times? And Jesus answered, no, you, you go way past that. And he doesn't just mean forgive them 77 times or even 490 times. He means you keep forgiving them. Therefore, and Jesus is going to, explain to them what he's talking about. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, it was a vast sum, more than almost anybody could have earned in their lifetime and certainly more than they'd ever be able to pay back in their lifetime, was brought before the king. And since he was not able to pay his debt, the king, the master, ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Well, the servant fell on his knees before him and he begged him, please be patient with me. I'll pay back everything. Well, that servant's master took pity on him and he canceled the debt. He didn't just say, okay, I'll give you some more time. He took pity on him, he canceled the debt, and he let him go. 
But then that servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him but a hundred denarii, which was a small, much, much smaller amount. And he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Well, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, just like that guy did before the king. Be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could repay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. And I want to pause there. Now, I don't know why, but I kept thinking of this deal of forgiving someone because it's hard to do, and doing it a few times and thinking, ah, oh, you roll your eyes and, and we're impatient, we don't want to do it any more than that, and we somehow reach whatever self-imposed limit we have for forgiving someone, and we don't want to do it anymore. I kept thinking of that in terms of, strangely enough, I don't know why this kept occurring to me, but of changing diapers. Now, I'm not much of a diaper changer, and I will only do that under duress. I would say that Marla does the vast majority of it, both when we had kids and now that we have grandkids, because she likes it, but I'm sure she doesn't like it any more than I do. I tell myself that she minds doing it a lot less than I don't mind doing it. But I don't know. There have been occasions when I had to or nearly had to because I was left alone with a grandchild still in diapers or, or whatever. And, and um, I, I have to assess the situation and find out um, which direction we're going. You know what I mean? Trying to, trying to you know, do a clean sermon in church and on the radio or a computer and all that kind of thing. And... I, I basically have a formula for that. I, no matter what it is, I try to figure out if there's anybody else around that will do that and can do that. I am not even above taking a seven, eight, nine-year-old sibling or grandchild around there and kind of training them from a distance, you know, showing, telling them how to do it and letting them do it and so forth. God, secondly, I, if there's no one around like that and it's just me I try to contact people within a reasonable distance that will bail me out. Now, I normally don't try to call them back from farther than Pittsburgh, but I've been known to try to catch them in Joplin and get them back. And when that doesn't work, I have one final step before I throw in the towel and do it. I call 911. <laughs> Did you know that with our little ones, be they our children and our grandchildren, especially when they're newborns, on average we change their diapers 12 times a day and even if Jesus was saying 
you forgive them 77 times, we would have used that up in just six or seven days because we love them. And then is that all? Am I done? (laughs) Hardly. Even if it's 490 times. We change their diapers for 40 days. And then we just keep doing it and doing it and doing it because we love them. And because we know that down the road sometime it'll get less and less frequent and eventually, hopefully in just a couple of years, they'll be grown enough and mature enough they won't make those messes anymore and we won't have to do that. That's what Jesus is saying about forgiveness too. Other people sin against you. They make messes of varying degrees, not only for themselves, but for you. But we forgive them. Because we believe sometimes, just hope, that not too much farther down the road they'll get it, and they'll grow up and they'll mature. And we won't have to do that anymore, at least so much. You're way ahead of me here. You know that the king is God. The king, the master that Jesus talked about, that's God. You know the servant who owed a huge debt. Matter of fact, it was so big that a lot of commentators surmised that He was actually a royal official, maybe even a a governor of a province or something that not only worked under the king, but he had access to vast sums of the king's treasures. That's how big the debt he owed was. It was too big for a normal person to accumulate And it was certainly too big for a normal person to ever pay back. That servant who owed just a little, and that servant who owed so much was us. And we begged him. And he forgave us. And that servant who owed just a little is anyone who sins against us and needs our forgiveness. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And then in anger, he turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And the important part, verse 35. 
And this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I, I would have been way better off. And that wouldn't have cut so deep if he hadn't tacked on that from your heart thing. Sometimes we do things, but our heart's not really in it. And we say, yeah, I forgave him. Or I forgive him, but I'm not going to forget it. Or a hundred variations of that. We owe the biggest debt of all to God. And that's our sin. And God forgave that. He just made it go away. Did you see that what, what did and could have happened to those guys who owed those debt, both big and small? Legally, they could sell that person and even their family and everything they had to put down on the debt. And he forgave that. Any debts that we are owed pale in comparison with what we owed God. And then, of course, at the end, there's that part he summarizes with saying, this is not just something I'd like you to do. It's optional. It'd be a good thing. It'd make you feel better. The consequences are enormous. Another way it's said is in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14, when Jesus says, if you forgive other people, God will forgive you. If you don't forgive other people, God won't forgive you. You see, that person that owed the first servant that debt, he didn't need his forgiveness to go to heaven. He needs God's. The person that wronged us, and we need to forgive, they don't need our forgiveness to go to heaven. They just need God's. But we need God's forgiveness to go to heaven. And our forgiving others is dependent on that. That is heavy duty stuff. At least it is for me. It makes me start running down the list of people, of situations. It, it begins with recognizing how great a debt I owe to God and how much mercy He's had on me. It uses the word pity, some there, but mercy, and how He's completely forgiven us and how we need to do that for others from the heart. We're going into our time of decision this morning. and If you have a um, decision uh, to become a Christian, to 
to uh, recommit your life to Christ, to join this church family, something like that, and, and would do that publicly up here in front of your brothers and sisters, please come and do that. Don't put it off. Maybe relevant to the message, it's a forgiveness situation. There's somebody that you need to forgive, somebody you need to ask forgiveness of, a God that you need to thank for his incredible forgiveness. Let's stand up and sing together.